This is the Scott Bradley Show podcast. I didn't realize this. I had forgotten this, but last year was the first year they did this. McMaster actually checked in their students. They brought their first year students in for Frost Week a week early. Frost Week, Frost are already checked in at McMaster. They've already moved in because there's now a fall semester reading week. So there was an extra week added to the schedule. Anyway, why am I saying all this? Because I can tell you one guy who is really, I don't think, thrilled that the fall is back and Labor Day is back because, man, he has spent his entire summer, it seems, cavorting across North America and the world, traveling to parts all over the place. That would be Marvin Ryder of the DeGroote School of Business. You have had a a well-traveled summer, sir. Bless you. Thank you for that. <laughs> you have been. You have had a great summer getting around. I have. I managed to see the south of Spain and, and ducked across into Africa to see uh, a little of Morocco, and then the last couple of weeks I have been in Palm Springs in California, enjoying the desert. It is. Um, that, that's pretty good. I, you know what? I'll uh, I'll make notes on that one. How to how to spend my summer vacation better the next time. Well, absolutely. Uh, what I wanted to have you on with it, we have, it's been a while, first of all, so you know we don't like to lose too much touch with Marvin. He is the guy who, uh, the one person in this city who can actually explain all the stuff I like to talk about, because I don't know anything about it, so I bring Marvin on to, uh, to handle all these topics. There was a story, and we see this all the time, but there was a story on yahoo.ca that I believe was yesterday, and here it is. Canada's economy shrank in the second quarter. It's worth showing in seven years, blah, blah, blah. While the quarterly drop exceeded market forecasts, economists were encouraged by other figures showing the economy resumed growing in June. So my words now, my editorial comment. So panic that things are bad, but be ready to unpanic. But then, of course, we're going to panic again because there will be bad news down the road. And then unpanic again. Marvin, I don't have any idea, honestly, as an average consumer of, of economic news, I have no idea how I should discern what... I should find important and what I should find unimportant. Yes, you're a victim of yo-yo panicking. Well, I, that's probably true. Up and down. Well, let me take you back before we talk about the story yesterday. Let me take you back a little over a year and a half ago. In January of 2015, we saw a major drop in the price of oil. And what that should have reminded everybody was just how dependent the Canadian economy is on oil prices. You don't. I'm sure you don't remember this, but in the first two quarters of 2015, our economy shrank. didn't shrink by very much. In the first quarter, it was 0.2%. In the next quarter, it was 0.1% shrinkage. You know, that's almost zero, but it was just enough that technically we fell into a recession in early 2015. This is why uh, the governor of the Bank of Canada cut the prime rate. It has been 1%. He cut it to 0.75, trying to stimulate, trying to keep us from getting too much of a shock on oil prices. So we seem to be coming out of this just fine. The first quarter of this year was great. April, well, it was kind of a ho-hum month. The economy didn't grow, economy didn't shrink, but then we hit May. And the bottom fell out in May. Why? Because of a little thing called the Fort McMurray fire. Uh, All of the oil sands are around Fort McMurray, and there's two things that don't mix. That's oil and fire. And so correctly, they put safety first. They shut down their operations. They sent their employees away and said, let's get this fire under control. Well, that caused an 18% drop in our sale of oil to other parts of the world, and that was enough that May was a really bad month. We were wondering whether June, if it was a good month, and of course, you know, the fire eventually goes out, maybe that would help pull us out, but when you added April to May to June, the net result was that in the second quarter we shrank, and we shrank quite a bit, 0.4% in that one quarter, 
biggest drop since uh, early 2009, but all due to a one-time event, the fire, and also the sign in June that the economy is growing. So are we headed to a recession? No. There's no systemic thing. There's no cross-the-nation problem going on. It was a one-time thing in Fort McMurray. Now, will July be better? Uh, I'm hoping it is, but remember poor old Fort McMurray. It's like at Sodom and Gomorrah North. First they've got the fire, and then they had a flood. I'm expecting frogs any time now to hit Fort McMurray. (laughs) And so, you know, I think uh, July might not be the best, but this month they're rebuilding. That's money that's pouring into the economy, creating jobs, because you've got to rebuild the houses, rebuild the infrastructure. And I actually think the year's going to end on a strong note. Maybe the last quarter, the fourth quarter, on its own, we might see a 1% growth. But when you put it all together... 2016 is going to look like 2015, 2014. We've got a little bit of growth, probably between 1% and 1.5%. That's not what we'd consider healthy. We'd really like to see it to be over 2% growth annually. And why is all of that going on? Well, of course, the rest of the world. Europe's not all that healthy. They're still struggling to figure out what Brexit is all about. The United States takes one step forward and one step back, thanks to these presidential elections. And then good old China, they're having their challenges. So the world's economy isn't strong, and then we had the fire, and that's why the second quarter was really a, a dismal quarter, but not going to continue because the fire's out. But as I said off the top, and, and that's and everything you said, is it's very illustrative of how these things happen because, again, we, the not necessarily hardcore economic news junkie who I'm describing myself as, I want to know what's going on in the world, so I look online or I look in the paper and... Again, you talk about the yo-yo, but it, it does seem to happen. As a society, we seem to react very strongly one way or the other. We don't seem to do very well at having a long view, most of us anyway. No, and the other problem is that Stats Canada, it was actually Stats Canada who released the report that Yahoo spoke about yesterday, uh, it takes them two months. So we're here at the end of August, the first day of September. We don't know how July and August were. We're looking two months back in our rearview mirror. So we, we know the past. The past is done. Then we try to predict where the future is going, but we see very hopeful signs. I'll give you a couple of examples. The, the low Canadian dollar, and you mentioned my traveling, and of course I've had to pay a little bit of a premium with that low Canadian dollar, um, but that is showing signs of strength in the production sector. And Ontario's economy did very well during that second quarter. Uh, production stuff was up. We also see uh, a lot of interest in Canadian services. Um, of things like banking and what have you. Those numbers were up, but they weren't up enough to overcome the effect of the fire. Once you cancel out the fire into the third and fourth quarter, there are some signs that we're going to have some decent growth in the second half of the year. Also remember that any time now, it may, it may have actually happened a week or two ago, uh, those people with children got a nice check from the government. Uh, some of that money will, of course, go into RESPs, into savings, but some of that money will get spent perhaps on back-to-school clothing or, you know, an iPad or, or a new computer for the kids, that kind of spending helps stimulate the economy as well. So we, we think as we head into the fall, we've got the big season of Christmas ahead of us, we're just finishing the back-to-school season, that there's just going to be enough positive news that we'll end the year on a, on a good note, not a great note, just a good note. Marvin, you've been at this, uh, I don't want to say a long time, but you are a veteran at this. Yep. Have we always done this? Have we always, even before the internet, we've all we had newspapers, we've had the radio, we've had TV. Have we always been sort of following the whims and getting excited about good news and down about bad news? Or is this something, because of the internet, because of the instant stuff, are we doing it way more now than we ever used to? 
Well, the Internet has certainly given you more access to information, but I think the difference, and I've got to go back to 2008, nine. Um, up until that point in the early part of the 2000s through 2008, the economy was just on an upward trajectory. It was boring but strong. Every year we grew to 2.5%. Sure, month by month the numbers were a little bit different, but they're always in one direction, up, 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 up. Back in 2008, just before the recession hit, the Canadian stock market, the Toronto Stock Exchange, crossed 15,000 points. Today, if you're looking at the paper, you see we're at 14.8. Uh, we haven't recovered after eight years. And so for the last seven years, people have been scanning the paper looking for good news. Is this damn recession over? Are we in full recovery mode? And unfortunately, my mission in life to tell you about these things is to say no. We take a couple steps forwards and we fall back a couple of steps, and we're in this doldrum. You know, it's like you're on a on a lake sailing, and all of a sudden the wind dies down, and you're just stuck there. You can't move forward. You can't move back. You're not making the progress you want. And I think this is why people are paying more attention to the numbers. They're looking for that sign that finally we're getting back to better days. But I can't give you that sign. And to, again, to be candid, this year I don't think the prime interest rates are going to move. So again, good news if you've got a mortgage. I don't think they're going to move in 2017. I think finally the economy may start chugging in 2018. So if you like this year, well, good news, 2017 is going to look like it. If you don't like this year, bad news, 2017 is going to look just like this. We're just stuck in these doldrums. So when you talk even back to the early 2000s when this was going on, or even before then, I understand that, when you go back further than that, were we in the 1950s coming home from work and picking up the newspaper and fretting over the economy like we do now, or in the 60s? Or again, is this much more of a recent phenomenon? Well, uh, a couple of things on that front. You know, we, we do go through a cycle. We do have good, day, good years and bad years. Uh, this is that economic cycle of troughs and valleys and peaks and mountains at the same time. It used to happen about every 10 years. So we had a recession in the early 1980s. We had a recession in the early 1990s, and then we didn't really have one in the early 2000s. It took to 2007. That was a 16-year gap. So many people under the age of 40 had never really personally experienced a recession. That last recession felt stronger to them. For me, who went through 2000, or excuse me, went through 1980s, when we had the recession in the early 1980s, they were accompanied with high interest rates. For instance. I was looking at buying a home. I could have got a one-year mortgage at 21%. Huh, wow. That's not a payday loan company. <laughs> that was a Canadian prime bank. Um, my father died during that time period, and my mother decided to take his life insurance and turn it into annuity. Normally, annuities I don't think of as a great investment, but she locked in for 15 years at 15% interest, paid every year, guaranteed. That was like a GIC. Uh, so those times, so I think, again, what happened, we had inflation. You're too young to remember this, Scott, but uh, certainly under the Pierre Trudeau years in the late 60s, early 70s, we had inflation. Some years we'd have 12% inflation, 15% inflation. Prices were going up dramatically. And, and, again, because everything was going up, even though it was sort of out of control up, it just felt good. It felt like things were exploding and booming and happening. The last 10 years, our inflation is around 1%, 1.5%. And you just don't get that feeling that things are, are chugging along. And I think we've become more sensitive. Back then, we were interested in the economic news, but because it was sort of going in the right direction, then you, you didn't worry about it the same way. Here, it's a couple steps forward, a couple steps back. So, in short, if I'm, if I'm understanding, when things are bad, we pay a lot more attention 
to economic news. We are much more attuned to the little nitty-gritty when things are difficult. If things are going good, as you say, when things were going up every year, we just sort of go, okay, great. Yeah, when, when do I get my dividend check? Thank you very much. Oh, yes. By the way, union, negotiate me another 3% raise because I need it to keep up. You know, we, we just had a different view of it. And it's even things like um, paying your property taxes. People are so much more keen now when they get the property tax bill and, of course, sigh. Oh, my God, my taxes, another $100 a year, $200 a year. Where am I going to find that money from? Stamps went up to $0.85. Cents. Where am I going to find that money from? In a good time, well, you've got the money. In a flat time, any little increase, you notice even more. And so um, another description we sometimes say is like blood on a snowbank. One blood drop on a snowbank stands out because of the white background. In a slow economic time, any increase or decrease stands out that much more. But if the world was generally going up, well, you'd miss those little bumps along the way. It is, um, it's fascinating to talk about because, again, I think that there are, Marvin, and, and you tell me if I'm wrong because you deal with all this, but it seems to me that we do ride these things like, instead of being on a giant cruise ship where you hardly feel the waves, I often feel like with the economy we're on a little tiny dinghy and every little wave is batting us around a little bit and we're feeling it. Well, and, there's certainly some of that for sure. And and you know what, I don't think, quite frankly, and I, again, I, I'm, it doesn't strike me that that is a really healthy way to be monitoring the economic news day after day after day, that every little blip that we live or die with. Because it is, I mean, we do, it, uh, we only got a minute here, but it does have to be a long-term vision, right? If, you're, if you've got investments, if you've got something else, it has to be a long-term view. I like to talk about the sleeping value of an investment. So you should... Invest money in something that you can go to sleep, and in the morning you don't feel the need to rush to the paper and look at. Great idea. I can remember years ago my parents decided to invest in some mutual funds, and every morning my mother checked it, and if it went up a penny or down a penny, she was all verklempt about the whole thing. <laughs> and I said, Mom, let's get you out of this. That's not worth it. You know, Get into a guaranteed investment certificate. Well, I could earn more money. Yes, you could, but you can also lose money in the mutual fund. You know, I don't think you've got the temperament to be in there. It's also during these kinds of times that people look for alternative investments, and that's why we've got the real estate market kind of doing the crazy things it is. Real estate prices in Vancouver up 15% year over year. What's driving that? That's just investors saying, I don't want to put my money into guaranteed things that aren't growing at any rate. Let's see if we can stimulate the market. The problem there, we can have a bubble, and again, you could lose things. So you've got to find things that you can invest in and say, I'll sleep on this for 10 years. I'm sure it'll be okay in the long run. I won't mind a six-month run one way or the other. Marvin Ryder, always appreciate the time. Thank you, sir. Welcome home. Thank you. I'm glad to be back. You're listening to The Scott Radley Show, weeknights from 7 to 9 on AM 900 CHML. Labor Day, as you know, traditionally always, well, with very few exceptions, and when the exceptions do arrive, people go a little snaky. I think we had one a few years ago where Labor Day was played here, and it was not the Argos, it was the Alouettes, and there was even a Labor Day, if I recall, not that long ago where it wasn't played. Maybe I'm wrong on that one, but there have been a few that while well, the Guelph season, yes, was, uh, but that was different. That was obviously not, but anyway, Labor Day, everyone knows Labor Day in Hamilton means football. Well, this year it's a little bit different because not only is it Labor Day with the Hamilton Tiger Cats playing against Toronto, as is the traditional rivalry, but before then at noon on Labor Day, also at Tim Hortons Field, McMaster will be playing against U of T, making the whole Hamilton Toronto thing go on there. It's a cool double header for the two big teams in the city and joining me tonight uh, a guy who has played for both of them a guy who knows them very well a guy who's covered them since then a guy who never actually seems to be able to carve himself away from either of his Hamilton teams that would be Mark Mike Morreale Mike how are you 
Not bad, Scott. How you doing? I am doing just fine, thank you. So, listen, you again, you have worn the maroon. You have worn the black and gold. You know this city. You know this city's football culture. Is this a good thing to put these two teams together on one day for a doubleheader? I, I think it's it's long time coming, quite frankly. I think the, uh, the way that the community has come together, not only the football community, but now with, uh, you know, the Bulldogs coming on board and the black and gold and all that stuff, I think it just, it's a perfect match. Uh, it's a, it's a great opportunity for uh, the Mac kids to get out on Tim Horton Field to you know have that sense of excitement to have the you know a party in between. I, I think they've done a really good job. Why do you think it's taken? Because you you said it's been a long time coming, and I agree with you 100. percent Why is it taken so long? Do you think? You know what? I don't know. I don't know if you know the current Bob Young era. He needed time just to figure it out on his own. Maybe they didn't want to start joining forces. I I don't know. Maybe there wasn't a relationship from the other side. Um, but regardless, I think it, it, it's ended well. But yeah, there, there should have been much more connection in days past and in years past. You know, I remember my time at Mac. There really wasn't that much of a connection. Um, you know, other than you know Bernie Custis was there, and you know for a period of time in and out. And you know Al Bruno was my coach at the end of the year, but we didn't have any sort of relationship with the Cats. Did that change at all from you? And now you, I don't think you were still, no, you weren't around still when, um, well, maybe you were when Greg Marshall came in. No, I, well, I was there in Hamilton, but not in, uh, at McMaster. But I, no, I understand. But did that, when, when they hired Greg Marshall to come in and be the head coach of the Ticast, did that, from where you were sitting, did you see, did that create it or did that forge any bonds or did it still not really do anything back then? Uh, I, I think if I think back and kind of specific, specifically look at that question, I could say, yeah, there probably was some, you know, symbiotic relationship somewhere along the line, but not to the extent that it exists today. Uh, but, you know, Greg's relationship at Mac and, and you know, with the Cats, he, he did really try and, you know, help merge the two a little bit. It just never worked itself out. Yeah, and I, you know, I do wonder, I don't think it really has a huge amount to do with this, but, I, you know, I look at Steph Potasic there now as the offensive coordinator with the Ticats, and I wonder, I mean, it's, again, I don't think that Steph Potasic being the offensive coordinator is the reason they're having the doubleheader, but it's another one of those connections that you look at and you say, yeah, these two programs seem to be a lot closer now. Yeah, yeah, I think there is. I think, you know, the the way the league has started opening up, you know, the quarterbacks going to different teams, you know, uh, you know, and Hamilton being able to, you know, even the Mac kids getting a chance to go and Hamilton bringing in local talent, perhaps, you know, Mac guys here and there. I think that that really helps a lot. Uh, and there's a, a lot to that. And, uh, you know, it's important to have that relationship. I think it means a lot to, to both sides. And, uh, and I think the community really likes it. And that's the big thing. Uh, well, unless I'm overlooking somebody, uh, the one guy on the team who has done what you did, who was the Mac guy and then was the Ticat guy, is Mike Daly. Um, what's, you've been there. What is it like for a guy to basically move from one to the other? Is there any, when you go around the city, like, is there any sense that people put the two and two together and see you as a special kind of guy because you're Hamilton through and through somehow because you went to university here? Or is that just, is that looking too deeply into it? Uh, in some cases, a little bit of both. I think there are the, the core group of people that relate to the fact that, you know, while I saw you play at Mac or I came to the game or, you know, when the games are televised on a weekly basis, you know, I saw you play or in the venue, whatever, and this is awesome to have you here for the Cats. I think there's a little bit of that. And then there's a lot that they don't know where 
uh, Mike Daly went to school, but then again, they don't know where, you know, 99% of the other guys <laughs> went true. to school either. That's, you know, that's just the way it is. Well, let me ask you that, because that I find maybe the most intriguing question about this whole partnership now, because I'm wondering, what do people think about McMaster in the greater football community? Because again, you came from there and then you experience the professional game. Do people have, do Ticat fans generally, from your experience, have any thoughts or any feelings about McMaster, or are they two completely different fan bases? Again, there's a small group that really, you know, uh, was frustrated when they both used to play on Labor Day and one at Mac and one at, you know, Iver Win or what have you. So there is that group is like, they want to be at both events. It's a pretty good group, and I, I would say where I really see a, a bigger percentage that would be Mac and Ticat followers in, in terms of who watches Ticat, I think would be the corporate community. I think there's a lot of corporate people um, that like McMaster football. I think there's something about it they just enjoy. I don't know why. I just think there's a good connection there, maybe with the university and the people that work there with the corporate community, and I think people like it. Do you think that the broader perception of McMaster around the city changed at all when they won the Vanier Cup? I think so. I think, I mean, I, I because I'm in the football circles, I hear it a lot more. You know, they even thought I played back in the good old days because it's been good for so long, even though I was before the good, the good old days. But, um, you know, I, I think that there is, um, you know, a lot of uh, good things that, has come out of this because of McMaster winning and just them getting better year over year. And really, um, the venue was big and it was a heck of a game. So it does, I think it had a really good positive impact more than any other thing I can think of in the recent past. Okay. So before we get to the Ticats part of this, McMaster, as you said, is going to be playing at Tim Horton field. They don't normally, they, I mean, they had six, uh, Five fifty six hundred something like that. They had a full house for their opener uh, on Frosh night, uh, but this is going to be a vastly bigger crowd than they play in front of in every game except for the three Vanier Cups they were in. And so, is this? Do you think that Greg Knox, who's the new head coach of this team, do you think he? Do you think other people are looking at this as this is a sales job? That this is a we have to not only be good in this game, but we have to be. This is our chance to really impress people and introduce ourselves to a lot of people who otherwise wouldn't care. Yeah, I, I do agree. I, I think for sure. I think that this is a great opportunity on, on the biggest stage in this area to be able to say this is you know who we are and this is what we do. You may have heard our name, but now you kind of get a sense of what we're all about. You know, and we're not just this school in in Westdale. We're you know we know how to play football. We're tough, and you know uh, we're fast and we're exciting. And I think everybody wants to be the next cool shiny thing. And Mac football is cool and shiny. I mean, it really is. Just not a lot of people know about it. So if you are Greg Knox, and I mean U of T is not a powerhouse in Ontario football, and McMaster last week against a good Carlton team put up forty points. If you're Greg Knox and at halftime you've got 40 points on the board, are you playing cautiously and taking out your quarterback? Or are you saying, forget that. This is our sales job. We're going for 80. You know, I, I think the quarterback stays in, and it's got less to do with sales and more to do with, listen, we, they, as much work as we can get them, let's do it. Because, you know, we got young guys on, on the O-line, and we want to, be able to keep them in and work it. But is it part sales? Of course. You want your best people on the field. You want to put your best product on the field. Are you going to pour it on, in other words? I think you pour it on. And I think for Greg Knox, 
uh, this is a chance for him to shine too, right? In, in front of a bigger crowd, in front of a more professional crowd, uh, not <laughs> not in the mean sense, but a more you know professional fan base. Then you know I think it's his time to do some flash and dash too. All right, so you were a Mac guy. You uh, you went on to play for the Tie Cats. Uh, first of all, what is for people who, I mean, I, maybe it's a, an obvious answer, Mike, but what's the big difference in the life of a football player who is playing for McMaster versus playing for the Ticats? Oh, completely different. Um, you know, when you're a Mac, you're a student athlete, so you're fitting in your schedule, your game, your practice, your meetings amongst classes and tests and studies and, and you know, you're at school first and you play football second. When you're a professional football player that's your job and you know it is the the day in the life is much different it's much more regimented um it's not long i mean it wasn't you know four and a half hour day is not a long day you know for the players it's a blessing but uh you know your life is is different it's regimented it's not uh, you being told to show up here and there you have to show up and or else you don't have a job and you have to uh, perform or else you don't have a job so uh the fact that it was in the city in terms of fan bases, that was different too. I was on a losing team at Mac. We didn't get a ton of fans, and then you go up to the you know professional level, and now everybody cares. Yeah, and you're in the same city. You've just driven you know six kilometers down the road. So um, that's very interesting. And so when that's the case, because again, McMaster, you're losing, but you know, okay, mom and dad were there, and some other people, and and you're upset that you lost. But now, as you say, you go to Iverwind Stadium, you lose in front of 30,000 people. How does that play during your week as a pro? How is the well, difference? It's, it's people care. I mean, besides, you know, if you're a university football player, we're using Mac as an example, but we're talking about Hamilton. I mean, and you lose a football game, you're, you're probably going to feel crummy around campus. And I know I felt crummy at home. And when you were out on the, you know, the, the bar, you felt kind of depressed because you're the football team and you lost. You know, and you're going out to the club and you're thinking you're supposed to be the big bad football team win everything. So, and that's the one thing on that side. And then on, on the flip side, you know, fans in Hamilton are tough. So if things go wrong, they're going to tell you. And they're not only going to tell you at the game, but they're going to tell you at the mall and walking down the street. And it's a constant reminder. The media is going to write about it and it, it's not going to get swept away you, you, it's bad enough as a player you, you watch video in front of your teammates so they see when you do something wrong uh that's you know disheartening enough and now everyone knows you didn't ever experience fans getting on you around here did you Oh, I think you wrote a few articles about that, Scott. I just, I, you know, uh, it's, it's been a long time now, Mike. I'm just trying to refresh my memory. Oh, it, it, yes, yes. <laughs> I had a few. We didn't talk about the other team I played for in the Labor Day matchup. Too, so, you know, that's probably why I got booed and hissed. But, I was leaving I mean, that out so people would think fondly of you as we had this chat tonight. Yeah, I, you know what? I, I still wouldn't change that for anything, uh, merely because that showed that they cared. If they didn't care, they'd, it wouldn't have mattered if I, I left, right? So I took it as a – it was it meant a lot to me, and it was also a tough time. And that was the difference between having a, a bad outing at Mac or having a bad outing in front of the whole community when you're expected to not have one, right? All right, so the Ticats, I mean, Iverwin held 30,000, give or take. Tim Hortons Field is now in the 25,000 range. It's going to be full. People are going to be. It's been full consistently, basically, since they moved into the stadium. 
your opinion as a guy who played there, do tie cat do people care about the tie cats generally, period? Or do people care about a winning team and they will go if the team is winning, but you know what, if we start having a losing team, which doesn't seem like it's on the horizon, we'll be de- back down to 15,000 or something. Is, are times different now, do you think? I, I think you're in the entertainment business, number one. So if you're entertaining, uh, you know, you're always going to get your course to the fans, and I think the course to the fans here in Hamilton are, are large. But you're also going to get fair-weather fans that want to, you know, hop on board because the tie cats are now the cool thing. And let me tell you, from my vantage point at the games over the last few years, the tie cats are cool. Like, you know, a bunch of girls will roll up in a limo and, and hang out and party and then go out later at night. Whereas you never saw young women ever win too often in the bellows of whatever. So it's become the cool place. Maybe to you just didn't notice, Mike. Maybe you just didn't have your eyes open for young, for attractive young women well, around Ivor Wynn. on the field, so I had no <laughs> idea. I'm just guessing. I'm just guessing. But, you know, I, I, I feel like it's kind of hip and cool and people are talking about it. And I think um, if they continue to be entertaining, um, then the fans will be there. But you have to win. There's no doubt about it. But I think it's a it's smaller, fair weather fans than than you would think, but it's a tough city, so they'll show up just to tell you, you know, make sure that they hear you hear it from them firsthand. Let me ask you one thing before we let you go, um, McMaster. Again, your alma mater uh, has been a team that's been in contention for a number of years. Ticats, obviously, your team, your alma mater, uh, been in contention for a number of years. Which one? would mean more to win a championship to you? Which one would get you more excited if they won a championship? Oh, it's Hamilton. It's the Cats. And and I I think because, you know, the majority of my playing career was there on that field, you know, I feel like I'm still with them. And and there were years, and Scott, you would know right after, you know, Hitch and I going, uh, that it was tough to watch. But, I get a renewed interest, and and I and I enjoy it, and I'm I'm genuinely happy. So when and if and should they win, I'll be more than overjoyed. With Mac wins, I've seen them win in you know in Vancouver as part of the broadcast team. You were there, that's right. So it was like I've never been so excited in my life. But it was a different. uh, I don't know. It was a different sense. Like I was, I was so motivated by those guys in the field. Like I, I felt really excited about it. And when they won, I was so happy for them. But it wasn't like I felt complete inside. You know, I think when the Cats win again, I'll feel complete. I feel like I, I, you know, I was part of the last group with all the those great ones to win the last great cup. So I'm kind of like, come on, guys. It, it's been long enough now. Well, the good news is that as of right now, both the Cats and McMaster are ranked in the top ten nationally. Mm-hmm. There you go. Well, <laughs> <laughs> Which is a little easier for the Ticats <laughs> since there's only nine teams, but that's okay. They're still, no, they, you know what, they are, uh, I think Monday's going to be a lot of fun, to be honest. And, I, and um, you know what, two wins would be uh, would be a nice way to send people home and to make everyone uh, say nice things to Mike Morreale, which they probably should anyway when they're walking yeah. around the park. Well, thank you. Hey, listen, <laughs> they both win, and that, that means they'll, they'll want to do it all over again and again and again. So that'll be, that'll be important. Mike Morreale, always appreciate the time, sir. Thanks. My pleasure. Have a good night. Uh, we will. Uh, I'm sure you will see, if you're down at the game, you'll probably see Mike. I think he'll probably be on the screen or uh, whatever down there at the park, but good guy. And uh, and you know what? I mean, one of the few. There have been, uh, I don't know, I don't, I don't know what the number is, a couple dozen, maybe, maybe a little more than that, who have actually done the 
McMaster Ticat double as a player. And far fewer than that who have ever done it with any kind of longevity. And even fewer than that who have done it with longevity and as an impactful starting dynamic player on the team. There are very few that fall into the category that Mike finds himself in. There's one guy on the Ticats right now that you'll be looking for, and he has been all those things. He has been, he's had longevity so far. He's still a young guy. That's Mike Daly. He's been impactful and he's getting a lot of playing time. So good for him. Be interesting to see if when you're there, if you go to the game, take a peek and see if you actually see Mike sneaking out of the Ticat dressing room, trying to watch his old team, maybe even having his, you know, his eyes up while he's stretching or something on the sidelines. I'm sure he will have his eyes on that game. You're listening to The Scott Radley Show, weeknights from 7 to 9 on AM 900 CHML. Time for the countdown. And tonight, if you own a car, if that means you probably also have a radio in the car. <coughs> oh, excuse me, as I choke to death. Which means you've probably sung along more than a few times in the car and probably to some of the songs that we are going to play now. This is a countdown list of the top 10 songs that you cannot help but sing along to. Many of you will fall into the category that this will apply to. There will be a few of you that'll say, really? But on this list, there is really not a song that I think is going to fall into the category that most people are going to say, this doesn't fit at all. Number 10 on the list of songs, this is off the internet. Can't even remember the website where I found it now, but I found it today. Number 10 on the list of songs that you cannot help but sing along to when it comes on the radio is this one from Gloria Gaynor. I Will Survive by Gloria Gaynor, number 10 on the list of the songs that you cannot help but sing along with. Now, number nine, totally different topic, but similar kind of thing. We're talking about, well, that one was about a woman who's dealing with, you know, her idiot boyfriend slash husband slash whatever. This one is also about a woman, but it's a little bit more upbeat. I mean, it really is. It's maybe the most upbeat song that anyone has ever written that will fall onto this category. It's from a little band that once upon a time made a few albums. They were called ABBA. Song sounds like this.
Yes, Dancing Queen by ABBA. A wedding staple. And by the way, also probably on the list of the songs that you can't help but air piano to when it gets to that part about da 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 you know that. Yeah. There are certain songs that you have to air drum to. Maybe we can do that list one other time. That one's an air piano song you can't get away with. Number eight on the list. There were roughly 17,000 people at First Ontario Centre a few weeks back who will join in on this one, along with many, many, many others, who will say, yes, this, this song, it is actually physically and mentally impossible not to join in when this song starts playing. It sounds like this. It's from the Beatles. Hey, Jude, don't make it bad. Take a sad song. Start to make it better. Hey, Jude, don't be afraid. You were made to go out and get her. The minute you let her under your skin, then you begin to make it better. Let me just tell you that there is no such thing as a concert sing-along until you've done a sing-along with Paul McCartney singing Hey Jude. I'm telling you, I top of the list right there. As far as every single person on the planet knows that song, I think. I think you could probably go to some sort of village in sub-Saharan Africa and walk into a hut and start humming that tune and they would go, oh, Hey Jude. Yeah, everybody knows that song and everyone can sing along to it. That's number eight. That's only number eight on the list of songs, top 10 songs you must sing along to. Number seven, a song that, again, you're going to sing along to this mostly because you have heard this now every single time some team wins a championship on TV and a million other times other than that. It comes from Queen. It's called We Are the Champions. Yeah, a little, a little bit catchy, that tune. little catchy. All right, that's number seven on the list of songs you cannot help but sing along to. Number six, changing course entirely. You go from a British band with anthem rock kind of music to a southern band. Well, kind of a little bit anthem rock as well, but not really. More southern rock with a weird, weird spelling of the band's name, by the way. They were named, as I recall, the band name came from a name of one of their teachers in, in high school that they really didn't like. It was sort of an ironic name that they chose. The band, weirdly spelled, is Leonard Skinnerd. The song is called Sweet Home Alabama.
Sweet Home Alabama by Leonard Skinner, number six on the list. Now, if those ones were in your mind, not sure. Now we're getting into the heavy hitters. And I got to tell you, number five, if you know this song, there is no possible way you don't sing along with this when you hear this on the radio. There is no possible way you do not sing along with this song. I don't know what year it was written. It would be in the 60s somewhere, maybe early 70s. I'm not sure. I'd have to look it up. But it's by a guy named Don McLean, who I don't think wrote another song that ever hit the charts in a big, big way. But American Pie was his offering. Don McLean with American Pie, one of the all-time classic songs. It's like seven minutes long, and you can sing along with the whole thing. Number four takes us up about 40 years from there, maybe 50 years from there. I don't know. But if you are a fan of 90s, 80s, 90s into 2000s, originally kind of hair metal, but then became a more respectable, now a really well thought of band that is still doing the touring thing as well as being an actor, the lead singer. This song probably resonates you with you from Bon Jovi. Living on a Prayer by Bon Jovi. That would be the fourth song on the top 10 list of songs you cannot help but sing along to. Number 10 was Gloria Gaynor, I Will Survive. Number 9 was Dancing Queen by ABBA. Number 8, Hey Jude by The Beatles. 7 was We Are the Champions by Queen. 6 was Sweet Home Alabama by Leonard Skinner. 5 was American Pie. And 4 was Living on a Prayer. So what could be left on this list of songs that absolutely must be sung along to when they come on the radio. Well, number three was a song that was recorded quite a few years ago. And then all of a sudden, bam, back on the charts. And it is now one of those songs that everybody knows because it has been played nonstop for, I don't know, the last four or five years, at least, at least. And the ironic part or the interesting part about that is it seems that not too many people are actually sick of this song yet. They still want to hear this song. They still love this song. Whenever it comes on, they are singing along with it. The lead singer of the band is long gone. He's been replaced by a guy from the Philippines who sounds exactly like him. The band is called Journey. The song is called Don't Stop Believing."
That's Journey with Don't Stop Believing as the number three song that you cannot not sing along to. Which brings us to our top two. By the way, have you thought of one that should be in here? Have we hit that one yet? All right. Number two, we go back to a band we've already played once. And again, this is one of those songs that was, I don't want to say obscure or obsolete. It had really fallen out of favor until a movie came along starring a Canadian actor. Two guys, actually, one of them Canadian, but two guys from Saturday Night Live who portrayed two idiots who sang this song in their little mini 19-whatever-it-was car. And as soon as they started bobbing their heads when the hardcore part of this song came, this song went back to number one on the charts and it has never left since then. Uh, Once again, it's Queen. The movie, of course, was Wayne's World. The song is Bohemian Rhapsody. And on and on it goes with you singing along every word of that song. So that is number two on the list of top 10 songs you cannot help but sing along to, which brings us to number one. A little bit older, back from the 70s, I think. Uh, This song involves sequins. It involves the Boston Red Sox. It involves, yeah, it does. They actually sing this song at every Boston Red Sox game. Right, but I mean, the song itself doesn't involve No, the but I'm just Red saying. Sox. The, the, the Red the, Sox involve well, this song. the song doesn't include sequins either, but he wears it when he sings it. He wears sequins all the time. He's flashy up on stage. He's got the flashy stuff going on. I, I also would like to say this is this song is related to one of my favorite moments that I've experienced in this town, which was at the outdoor uh, game between the Bulldog or the Leafs alumni and the Montreal Canadiens alumni where one of them got up on stage and we, uh, as a stadium, sang along to this. Indeed, he did. Indeed, it was uh, a great moment. There was snowflakes falling. There was was a guy, there was a hockey player with a guitar. Uh, All the players on the bench were swaying back and forth. The people in the crowd who were not frozen to their seats were singing along with this. The singer, the sequin-clad singer, of course, being Neil Diamond, the song, predictably, Sweet Caroline. Hands, touching hands, reaching out, touching me, touching you. So number one on the list, Sweet Caroline by Neil Diamond, which, you know what, how is that a bad pick? Everybody, even though, I got to be honest, if you're of a certain age, Neil Diamond doesn't exactly ooze cool 
And yet everybody sings along with Neil Diamond quite happily when that song comes on because it just is the perfect sing-along song. And you know when it's a good, perfect sing-along song because people start adding parts to it. (laughs) It's not even in the song, but it's become part of the tradition that you are going to add parts to it. That is number one on the list. They list top 10 songs you can't help but sing along to. Now, we just have a minute or two, Luke, but you were adamant that you had a song that needed to be on this list. It's hard to disagree with, with the vast majority of the songs on the list. In fact, it's probably I can't disagree with any of the songs on the list. But this song should really be somewhere. This is, of course, by Boston, More Than a Feeling. First time I was in Hamilton as an adult was at Cops Coliseum on December 7, 1988, to see Boston play at Cops Coliseum. And I will tell you that they sang, I think, every single song on all three of their albums up to that point. It was absolutely outstanding. I mean, uh, like... Cause that, the, is, that should be on the list, the, absolutely. The top five, I, I can't move it out for any of them. And, and even though the bottom five are all great... I just feel like that one is one of the best sing-along songs of all time. It has to be on this list. That probably should. And by the way, I just received a text from uh, one of the participants, specifically the owner of the hockey team, who was at that outdoor game singing along, uh, saying yes. Um, that would be well, the, that he, would be the choice. He was in his gear. He actually. was. He, he was. was playing goalie for Montreal. He was indeed. That would be Michael Andlauer, owner of the Bulldogs. The Scott Radley Show weeknights from seven to nine on AM nine hundred AM nine hundred CHML. Canada may be known for its landscapes and friendly people, but beneath the surface lies a darker side of crime, history, and the paranormal. Since 2017, the award-winning Dark Poutine podcast has explored the shadowy corners of the great white north and beyond, delivering chilling tales from a uniquely Canadian perspective. Hosted by Mike Brown and Matthew Stockton with over 300 episodes and fresh releases every Monday, Dark Poutine is your weekly ticket to the creepier side of Canada. Listen to Dark Poutine on Apple, Spotify, Amazon Music, or wherever you get your podcasts.